Hey everyone, welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. This is your host, Chris Walker, and today I am thrilled to have on the show the founder at Coglin Cadmus LLC. He helps startups build and scale world-class sales organizations through consulting. I've been following him for a long time. I've watched him do it in-house. Really impressive guy. It's been interesting to see the transition and a lot of the great things that you're doing, Colin. So pumped to have you on the show. How are you? I'm good, Chris. I feel like we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm glad you finally made it happen. To be honest, I was bringing this up while you were still at air call. So it took us maybe like two years, but now here we are. So really glad to have you on here. We're going to get right into it because I imagine a lot of people know who you are and so we can pass through the backstory and let's get into it. So the reason that we're doing this episode today is because two weeks ago, you had a post on LinkedIn that really caught my eye because I've been seeing this for five to seven years, but it's been interesting to watch a lot of sales leaders also kind of catch on to this, which is your post. I'll just read the first two lines. Marketing is more important than sales. I wouldn't have said that back in 2012 when I was selling for a company that had no marketing, but it's true. Now, this is not for all the listeners here. Like Colin is not saying that marketing is better than sales, that marketing's, you know, a lot of marketers listen to the show. That is not how you want to take it. This is about building a good business. And so, Colin, just want to give you the floor to expand on that. Sure. Yeah. And I'm glad you clarified that, too, because, look, there's always an element, I think, to a good LinkedIn post of a, a little bit of a hook, a little bit of clickbait at the top. Right. And so if you read some of those things very literally, and of course, there's always people in the comments who are like, it's not better. Everything's equal. <laughs> you know, and they miss the point. The, the, the point is, and if you read through the rest of the post, you, you really get the point, which is. When you're getting ready to scale a sales team, and I don't mean you're going to hire your first one or two reps, that's fine. You can do that as you see fit. And that's usually maybe going to come before a marketer, one or two reps maybe. But when you're ready to scale, you're saying, all right, we've got a couple reps, whatever it is, maybe less than five. And process is slightly repeatable. We want to invest more in sales. That's where the mistake commonly happens because that's mm-hmm. when you should be investing more in marketing and actually getting ready to have a sales team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to come up with a good analogy and I don't know if this is the best, but imagine you went to the gym and you're very overweight and you're expressing interest in getting in shape and you know you, you hire a trainer and you do all this. And, and the first thing they start to talk to you about is your diet. And if you just say, well, I refuse to stop eating McDonald's and pizza and this and that, like, why are you investing all of this energy and going to the gym? And I think that it's similar, right, with sales and marketing. Marketing is the foundation of sales. It's sort of the, mm-hmm. the steroids of the bodybuilder. I don't know why I'm going on with that, that <laughs> analogy. But, uh, but the point is, if you're going to scale sales and you're going to invest the effort and you may as well put the foundation there so that they can actually do their jobs well, mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot easier to do beforehand. It's a lot easier to figure out your marketing messaging, uh, to align on the messaging, to align on the verbiage, to align on the value props. It's a hell of a lot easier to do that when you have two salespeople than it is when you have 20 or 50 Mm -hmm. or 100, right? And then when you hire those 20 or 50 or 100, they're going to be significantly more successful with those uh, with that foundation in place. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the high level premise to it. Of course, there's a lot of details I'm sure we'll dive into. Yeah, and it's like, I get in 2012 why the position of a lot of people was different. The world was quite a bit different. How B2B buyers bought things was quite a bit different. If you think like nobody was spending time, nobody that spends time on LinkedIn today was ever listening to LinkedIn. Nobody that's listening to this podcast listened to one in 2012. Yeah, and so and I think online acquisition was different too. I know in 2012, I was, yeah, it was very different for different industries too. I was selling to restaurants at the time 
And we actually, not only did we not have a marketing team, but our sales team didn't use email. Literally, that we only use the phone. And our belief at the time, and I think this was true. I think this was accurate at the time. I didn't know any better, but I think our philosophy was that if we started emailing restaurant owners, small business restaurant owners, we're not going to get very far. Mm-hmm. We could barely get these people to pick up the phone while they're in the kitchen with their hands stirring the pot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so if we were to try to email them in 2012 about some digital, you know, cloud service for restaurants, like forget about it. We could barely get their attention over the phone. So email would have always been worse. Uh, so we had just stuck with that. But today it's a very different game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've kept in touch with a lot of that crew who is, you know, moved on to other companies still selling into restaurants. And it's very different. Of mm-hmm. course, they're marketing, they're using email and it's a different world. So those opportunities are much bigger. I think the platforms and just uh, whether it's social or whether it's paid ads or, or whatever it is, it's all better than it was 10 years ago, <laughs> right? Um, so when you factor all of that in, it just makes a lot more sense to get this stuff going before you bring the salespeople in. Yeah, and I, I would argue that even your position right now on this, if you look at the cohort of VPs of sales, your position is still progressive, right? I think that there's most, if you I, a majority would say, that no, we're still going to scale with sales first. We'll figure out marketing later. Marketing is not that important to us doing that. What would yeah. you say to those people, right? Because you've been in their shoes. You've seen it a different way. Like, how would you explain that? Great question. I think the answer to that is you probably haven't worked with a great marketer yet because I would have probably answered that question the exact same way prior to having that experience at Aircall where I got to work with a great marketing team and, and really see what that looks like, right? I, I think, and part of the reason, you know, people say, Con, you have some marketing chops, right? As a salesperson. And I've had to figure that out based purely on uh, need, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I've established marketing chops over the years is working as a sales leader without a marketing organization around me. And then you are the person who has to make suggestions on what the copy on the website should look like or what the funnel looks like. And you know, you end up by, de- you're the de facto head of marketing if you don't have one, because there is no such thing as a company without marketing, right? Mm-hmm. If you're selling something, it is Somebody's somehow doing being it. marketed. Someone's <laughs> doing it, right? Uh, so whether it's the CEO, whether it's you, someone is actually coming up with how you're marketing the business. And either it's going to be someone who has experience doing it and they know what they're doing, or it's going to be someone who's probably winging it, figuring it out. Or in the worst case scenario, it's someone like you're referring to a you know, a, an overly egotistical salesperson who thinks they can do it better. And that's mm-hmm. never the case. There was a lot in there. Yeah. Like the, I think the thing that I'm going to kind of go deeper into was the idea that you haven't worked with a great marketing team yet. Right. Like, that's so the there's probably a lot of VP of sales that are listening to this. I actually, in the, over the past three months, I get more inbound inquiries through LinkedIn DMs from sales leaders than marketing leaders. Makes sense. They know they it. You. They and need you. and the, but the marketing leaders don't, they don't, <laughs> don't necessarily recognize it. And it's not like, that, Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You, know, you get that's what I'm saying. And we, we lose those deals. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me because yeah. if, if they're in marketing and they're complacent, basically right, you got to say away with it in order to have that, the VP of sales to introduce to the VP marketing, whatever you have to basically, they have to say, Hey, you're not doing a good job, which, a is, hard which is a hard to conversation to have. But I, and it's not that they're not doing a good job. I would say it's that they're, doing things that were more effective five or 10 years ago, which are becoming less effective. And a lot of uh, salespeople will know, like the lead gen model to just generate a bunch of stuff to have your SDRs call 
is a, a losing formula in, in my view. Salespeople don't like it. It doesn't help the marketing team. Customer acquisition costs are high. Like, you know, I'm sure that you've had experience with that model over the years. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, where should people sit on that today? Yeah. Um, oh, there's a lot to, a lot of ways to start this conversation. Mm-hmm. Let me think of how I want to start it. All right. I, I guess, look, you, I'll start, I'll start by reacting to what you said first, right? Is, is the old model, we could call it the HubSpot model for lack of a mm-hmm. better word, right? Is just generate leads and then sales calls on them. And so that brings you to what's a lead, right? What is a lead? Is it someone who's qualified, who's expressed some level of interest? Is it someone who filled out a form? Uh, is it someone who filled out a form that was a very well-written qualifying form, or is it someone who filled out a form that was very clickbaity, right? Mm-hmm. That was just to get you into the form. Cause every marketer knows those are two very different things. <laughs> and I know that you guys know how to do both. Right. And when it's the end of the quarter and you have pressure and your jobs on the line, that's when those clickbaity ads come out. That's when sign up for a demo and get a hundred dollar gift card comes. That's mm-hmm. when, you know, come meet us at our booth at the trade show and get free Ray-Bans comes, right. I've seen all of that stuff and I've managed the teams who then have to get on the phone and waste their time with these people, or even worse, try to get on the phone with them and they won't answer. Mm-hmm. Right. So that brings you back to just trying to understand what are the priorities of these teams. And uh, I like to talk about the compensation aspect because it ties into that, but I'll hold on that for a second. What I mean by the priorities of the teams, it, it does tie back to incentives, but do you have one team on the sales side who's really focused on revenue? They're just saying, we need to actually grow this business. At the end of the day, that's the only way they keep their job. So mm-hmm. it's what they're focused on. But then you have another team who maybe they're earning their bonus. They're you know finding success, not having pressure put on them because they're hitting whatever metric they're being asked to hit. And perhaps that metric is a, an insignificant metric or it's a bullshit. It's a fugazi, right? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's just made up junk that you're able to generate through different tactics. And mm-hmm. you know when it comes to just getting someone to click a button or to fill out a form, that to me is not a lead. There's nothing that happened there that makes it a lead. There's nothing that, you know, cause you can get anyone to that point, mm-hmm. right. With clickbait, with whatever the tactic is, there's a million ways to do it. So there has to be something that goes further than that. There has to be some sort of qualification and I don't care how you do it. There's a million ways you can do it the way I did it. And I don't know that this is the best way, but we had our salespeople in charge of qualifying. Our AEs mm-hmm. were in charge of qualifying. And that would be their first call. And so whether the lead came from an inbound SDR, an outbound SDR, marketing event, doesn't matter what it was. The lead was going through that process and it was very quick. It wasn't long. And oftentimes for SMBs, that discovery would flow right into the pitch on the same call, right? It didn't have to add extra length to the process. But the point was the AE was responsible and they were highly trained on what they had to do to determine if that was a qualified lead. And it's easier said than done, but if mm-hmm. you do it well and you manage the process, you can get to a point, I think, that you have pretty good understanding across the team. And I mean, spanning into marketing and whatever, where everyone generally understands what an AE is going to accept. Now, I maybe am making it sound easier than it was. It took us a good six to 12 months to mm-hmm. get to a point where everyone's bought into that process. And even at that point, there's still complaints. There's always going to still be some issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause at the end of the day, someone has to make that tough call. In our organization, we made it the AEs. I think probably at, at massive scale, it makes more sense to have a RevOps or someone in between who's maybe calling the shots on some of the, um, the disputes, right? Like I would get involved on things like that at scale, probably not a great way for me to yeah. spend my time. 
So eventually I would have probably handed that over to RevOps or someone neutral who can just manage the disputes because it's going to happen. But uh, at the end of the day, you, you just have to have everyone working towards the same thing. And it can't be that one team's working towards this metric and the other team's working towards another metric. Just get everyone on the same page, whether it's SQLs or whether it's just revenue, maybe a, a hybrid of both, probably the, mm-hmm. the best answer. But yeah. Do you think that your how you feel about marketing right now has a lot to do with the fact that you actually practice it a lot now and that you understand how it works? I don't know if it's that I practiced it. Um, maybe, actually. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, it's probably a lot of things that have added up to it. I actually don't know that I've really thought about what has led to me you know, changing my thought on that. It's interesting mm-hmm. that you ask. I, I would say maybe it's probably a, a combination of a few things. So the very first thing was the experience of working with a great marketing team. Mm-hmm. Jeff Reekers at Aircall, he's the CMO. Um, he's got an incredible team there. And you know, being able to see what that looked like, uh, an, an actual well-funded marketing team, and then, you know, well-hired, like people with the right background, the mm-hmm. right experience, that was pretty fascinating. Uh, it was weird to get used to at first, just seeing how much money they'll spend on a test. I'm like, you're going to spend that much to test something? <laughs> like, um, but at scale, that's what you do. You toss mm-hmm. around 150K, you know, and test it mm-hmm. and, and maybe it works. But um, I'm not saying that's the right move for everyone, by the mm-hmm. way. But uh, all right, where else? Where else? So... I would say like, there's probably a little bit of an element of me getting involved in LinkedIn that maybe somehow tied into it. Just, mm-hmm. just me, because there's just an element of marketing it, like yourself. You're, you're posting stuff and you're like, wow, there's like a hundred thousand people that literally yeah. just saw what I said. Yeah, you start to see that right? effect, and, and uh, I just don't know, think a lot of I don't think a lot of sales leaders have felt that before. Yeah, um, they don't realize it. And even my own, mar- I remember Jeff at Aircall when I started to pick up on LinkedIn and things were taking off, like. He sat down with me one day and he's like, how many like views do you get on this? That like just starts asking me some questions and I could tell he's like comparing stuff in his head to what they're paying for. Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, would you mind? You know, I forget what the question was. Make a post about this, uh, you know, webinar. So and Mm -hmm. they start to see like, my God, he's making a free post. He's getting more people to attend this event than all of our paid promotions, our email list, everything combined. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy. And then you start to realize the power of it. And so that also had a lot to do with why I decided to start my own business too. Mm-hmm. completely separate topic. But I think it's cool to point out that once you realize that that power and you are able to establish somewhat of an audience, there's very, very little limitations to what you can do with that. Mm-hmm. I interact with a lot of companies that are too early for us to be direct, you know, seed, have maybe series like small series A have a couple of reps maybe have one like intern or you know manager level marketing person and then the next step is they they're going to complete their series A and they're going to hire 8 or right. 10 salespeople this is for people this is the wrong way to grow your company today and um, and by the way chris that exact scenario is where i'm involving myself with companies to make mm-hmm. sure they don't make that mistake along mm-hmm. with a handful of other mistakes that exact phase is where i come in and i say hey you are probably not ready to hire your VP of sales right now. I see that you're talking about hiring one. Let's have a quick meeting and let's just talk about your goals, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes maybe they are ready, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes they've checked everything off my list that I say you need to do before you're ready. What are some of the things on the list? You don't have to go through the whole thing, but I'm just interested in some of the top level. Yeah. So high level, uh, you need to have acquired at least, I think, 10 customers by the founders. Mm -hmm. That's it. Founder-led sales. And if the deal sizes are extremely SMB small, it needs to be more than that. Yeah. You have to have that level of experience because if you're a founder 
and you're going to go hire a VP of sales, you have to first accept the fact that you're going to be their boss. You are going to be managing someone who is supposed to be doing something that you've probably never done in your life, right? Unless you're a sales founder. And so if you haven't even sold your own product yet and gotten to a place where you feel like you can do that on repeat, yeah, it's very hard for you to have any perspective as to if your VP's even on the right track, right? Mm -hmm. And then it gets very difficult to know if they're feeding you BS or not. And I think that even though they still maybe have more experience than you, if you have actually sold your own product 10 or 20 times, you have some context to go into those conversations. And the VP and the salespeople will take you a little bit more seriously too. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I Yesterday, we did a live and a VP of marketing asked me who they should hire to start their podcast. And I said the same thing. I said, you should start the podcast. Oh, yeah. You should get it to 25 episodes. You should know the ins and out of how it works. You should know how to get guests. And then you can then you know much better who you need and whether or not they're going to do a good job. Yeah. Same thing goes for a founder. Cool. So, yeah, so you, ins, you know, and, you, and that's universal in sales, right? Mm -hmm. I think it was a week ago. People are posting like, does a sales manager need to have sales experience? And, and I must have seen three people post them. Kind of, kind of post is this. I mean, we're talking about should a CEO have sales experience? Yeah. Of course, a sales manager has. To. Salespeople don't respect people who haven't sold. It's just plain and simple. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but mm -hmm. that's how it is, right? And you hear stuff like that in my posts. Like I like to just say the truth. And oftentimes people are not comfortable with the way it's worded or, you know, that They're sounds not comfortable harsh. With the truth, to be honest, it's the truth. That's all it is, right? It's just taking away all of the fluff and being brutally honest about the realities. And I've found that in the long run, some people may misperceive what you're saying. But when you set those expectations and you even exaggerate them a little bit, I think you end up with the right people on the team. Mm -hmm. And so you go in and talk to those people. You're trying to decide whether or not they're ready for a VP of sales. Let's decide that they're not. Then what happens? So if they're not ready for a VP of sales, I will either suggest to them what they should be focused on for the next few months. And that may be that they should just, they need to go back. Maybe they don't need me. Maybe they don't need someone there. They just have some more executing they need to do, whether it's acquiring a few more customers themselves or, or here's an interesting example, right? One of the clients I worked with recently, founder had closed a bunch of business over the last couple of years, but then they completely pivoted and relaunched a whole new product. And he's like, I'm ready to hire salespeople. I'm ready to hire VP no, of sales. Not. Was trying to recruit me. I said, no, no, no. You're back at square one. <laughs> It's time to start over. You have to figure it all out all over again. And he realized that, you know, he wasn't happy about it, but he, he unpacked that and digested it, came back. And, you know, we even put our, our engagement on pause to the point that it's like, you need to go back. You need to do this. Like I can, I can keep taking your money and push you forward. I don't think it's the right move, mm -hmm. right? I'd rather you wait three months, four months, accomplish this on your own. And let's get back together when that time comes. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's, that's the... That's really the way you have to look at it, right? And, mm -hmm. and it's just about making sure, A, that you're controlling all of the things that you can control when you're hiring a VP of sales. I think that's a great way of putting yep. it, okay? Because the things you can control is when you hire them, who you hire, right? And what has been accomplished before they arrive. What's ready for them when they walk in the door. You can't control how great they're going to turn out to be. You can't control like how similar to their past experience this turns out to be like all of those things are out of your control. So at least mm -hmm. control the ones that you can. Mm -hmm. And so at, at no, doesn't matter what the stage is. I believe that there's quite a few companies that have overhired salespeople and they might over time need to rebalance between marketing and sales because marketing can create a ton of efficiencies where you don't need as many sales reps to hit the revenue target when done appropriately. 
What are some of the signals when you have too many salespeople on your team? Yeah, well, the easiest signal is they're not busy all day. Um, they're not on demos all day. When that happens, you know you have too many salespeople. Uh, and you, you just you just hit the nail on the head right there, right? Um, repeat what you just said, because I, I just lost my thought, but yeah, I wanted to yeah, say it's, it again. It's about like a lot of companies continue to think in a 2006 model uh, where you just yes, build yes. a sales team and then you all you do is just scale headcount of sales and you have the six-person marketing team and the marketing team doesn't need to scale. And then all of a sudden yeah. you're going to grow. And the rebalancing of the budgets is something that I'm more and more fascinated with. Yeah. Sorry. I lost my thought there, but, uh, when you overscale and then you have to go back, it's not as easy as just rewinding the clock, right. And, <laughs> and letting a few people go. And it's not even as easy as like, even if everything is completely ruined as firing everyone and starting over, like at that point, your culture is taking a hit, right. Your glass door is probably taking a hit. The morale is definitely taking a hit and you can't really, I don't think most companies can recover from things like that very well. Uh, I think it could be as disastrous as having to, you know, raise a down round or, or, mm -hmm. or like it, it's, it can be that become that big of a deal. Obviously it can become as big of a deal as you just going out of business. And that happens all mm -hmm. the time as well from just hiring too many salespeople. So I guess, all right, I'll give a couple of tips here, right? So number one, to answer your question, if your salespeople are not running demos all day, they're not busy all day, they're not mm -hmm. hitting quota, you have too many salespeople or not enough leads, one or the other. If you can't figure out how to get more leads, then you have too many salespeople, right? Mm -hmm. It's plain and simple. On the other hand, I'm trying to think of how I want to say it. Um, forget that thought. <laughs> yeah, no worries. No worries, brother. Some of the things that I was thinking about, so you said um, biz, you know, not busy on demos. I think sometimes being busy is a facade. It can, you know, busy and not productive, I think is a really interesting way to look at it. So the yeah. things, some of the things that yeah. I'll look at is average quota attainment on the team. What is your sales cycle length and what do you think that it should be? I've interact with a lot of companies that have a 180 day sales cycle. You do mm -hmm. marketing well, the sales cycle turns to 90 over like over a year period of time. You can literally cut your sales cycle by that much just by doing marketing well, yeah. low win rates from demo forward. But that's just from getting the right leads in the door, right? At the right, at the time. right time with the right time of their process. And then just being able to funnel more of them through. And then over time, what I found the interesting effect is, is you can, if you get more of them through at the right time, you need less reliance on outbound. The inbound ones have a shorter yes. sales cycle. Yes. You blend the whole thing down. Um, it's a really interesting way to move the needle for your business. I think that companies only think about uh, pipeline generation is the only way to make your business grow faster, but win rates, sales cycle length and average deal size all play into that equation just as much. Yes. And so just looking at different angles of what, what other ways can you grow your business faster than just putting more pipeline in and maintaining low win rates and long sales cycles. Yeah. You just brought my thought back to me. It must be this COVID vaccine. I lost my, my train of thought twice <laughs> in this call. Yeah. Look, it's about creating that efficiency first, right? Which you mm. just hit the nail on the head there. Like you're going to hire those salespeople anyway, put the efficiency in place first. I love that right? You're going to, if you get 10 sales reps, 20 sales reps, right? And then you bring in marketing and you realize, wow, we brought in a great marketer or we're working with Refine Labs and, and they brought, you know, we're, we're spending less, we're getting less leads, but they're closing at a, at a higher velocity. They're closing faster. The value is faster, right? And all of a sudden you're like, wow, this engine is, is working so much more efficiently on less capital per lead. But if you do that first, mm -hmm. if you do it first, think of the advantage that you have. You will never... I'll rephrase one of my favorite quotes. One of my favorite quotes is to new salespeople, you'll never be worse at anything in your life after learning how to sell, 
right? Whether you turn out to hate this job or not, you're never going to be worse at anything. And no salesperson or sales organization will ever be worse uh, with having marketing first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is all assuming <laughs> it's to... good marketing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. We're going to have to make that assumption for sure. Yeah. Cool, Colin. So we're coming up to the end of the episode. If you have listened to the State of Demand Gen podcast before, you know you will know what's coming. If you haven't, it doesn't bother me at all, but we're going to do it anyway. Now we're going to pass it over to you. And if you have a couple questions for me, we can riff on the topics you want to chat about. A hmm, couple questions for you. All right, let's um, let's maybe stay on the topic, right? Let's figure mm -hmm. the audience is interested in sales and marketing. I think we know pretty darn well, Corporate Pro has done a good job at highlighting half of these, you know, the things that salespeople can often dislike or get upset about with marketing. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we often hear about the other side and, and maybe that perspective is helpful for some salespeople who just want to be aware of, you know, how can they make the relationship better with marketing? What can an individual AE or an SDR do to, you know, perhaps make that relationship a bit stronger in their organization, whether it's good or great or wherever the starting point is. And then, and then perhaps what could a VP of sales do as well that maybe we often don't know. Yeah. I've, uh, I've, experienced this as a marketer with 40 reps where three or four or five of them did some of the things that I'm about to mention. Cool. And so I was running demand gen there and was passing, you know, leads. So one, like if you're an AE and you're running the model that I do, like high intent leads go to AEs. They don't, there's no SDR filter in the middle. They're ICP qualified high intent. So one, it's know that that is going to be the best lead that you get. You're not going to be able to source one better than that yourself. And so follow up with it and provide feedback, I think is a really interesting one, whether that's just updating Salesforce in the right amount of time or calling and talking through it. If it's you know slow volume leads and high deal sizes, it's really interesting to talk through it as a marketer because you can trace back how they got there and then make better decisions mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. Another one that I think has been really interesting is there was this one guy, shout out to Jared Dansberg. I... Uh, um, you know, got him a lead in Q4 in November. We had a about 180 day sales cycle and he closed it on December 31st and he made President's Club. Nice. He gave, he gave me a shout out on, on President's Club and bought me something nice with the commission, some of the commission that he got. And so letting your marketers know you appreciate them is probably the one that is the easiest to do and has the most impact. So I think that's a really interesting one. A lot of the things that I think go wrong between marketing and sales actually are created above the individual rep. I think it's created yes. at an organizational level. And so a lot of the sales people don't, you know, building a relationship with people, things like that are all things that you should be doing. But in order to fix it, if you don't have those types of things inside of a company, it's normally started at the top. That's maybe a great point to close on for people to walk away with because, uh, People have asked me that before, you know, I think when they've seen that Jeff and I had a great relationship mm -hmm. and stuff, like, how do you foster that? How does that come together? And you're right. It really starts at the top. And we did a big exercise actually at, at air call. We had a consultant come in before, like, a before, you know, planning for the next year and stuff. And we were going through some leadership exercises and that was a big thing that we went through. And they were trying to explain to us this concept that everyone's sitting in this room this is the executive team, right? That, this is our, I think they called it our, our first team. This is our first team. I forget the, it might've been the verbiage they mm -hmm. used, but the point was that like, they went around the room before he started talking about this exercise before we could tell where he was going with it. And he said, he said, Colin, who's, uh, who's your team? I go, oh, it's the sales team right out there. And he goes, Jeff, who's your team? I'm the marketing team. Hey, who's your team? He goes, you guys are in the room with your team right now. Right. And none of you realize that you all think your team's out there. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem as an executive team. This is your first team. 
And you have to think about it that way. And if the executive team doesn't have that level of alignment, to your point, exactly what you said, that all trickles down. And we all went home and this was a week-long workshop. So we went home and thought on it, had some reading materials. You come back and you're like, wow, like that makes so much sense. And at mm-hmm. first we got to, def- I got defense. I said, no, 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 that's my, you know, like <laughs> those are my people. <laughs> they, I put them first and I thought I was saying the right thing as a leader, right? But then I realized the bigger mission here for everyone is building a company that runs really, really well. And that starts with having an executive team that works really, really well together. Mm-hmm. And they have to put that team first. And it has to be like, and you realize this, he started throwing out different examples of like, okay, so Colin, let's let's throw a hypothetical, right? So if there's some sort of scenario or something's going wrong with some lead or this or that, he, he got a little more specific, but like, who's the first person you run to? I'm like, oh, probably my director of sales. He's like, why? Why is it not your VP of marketing? Why is it not your chief marketing officer? Mm-hmm. And he said, because you're putting your team before this team mm-hmm. and that's dysfunctional. And he was able to point examples for everyone in the room, right? It wasn't yeah. just me. Yeah, this is sure. all very common stuff. But as he sort of unpacked that and we all walked out of there like, oh my God, like he's right. If we all were all not founders, but if we were all founders together, mm-hmm. we would feel like one team. Mm-hmm. And so he unpacked that to figure out why do we not feel like that? And it's potentially because you feel a little bit outside of that circle, that founder circle. And so that's why oftentimes the VP of sales or VP of marketing, they gravitate towards their direct reports, right? And then you end up with this company that's really not being led by a cohesive group at the top. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can lead to kind of everything that we just talked about. Really great place to end, Colin. It's been awesome to have you on the show. Great to catch up with you. Um, And look forward to uh, doing this again soon. Likewise, man. Take care. You too.